painting to photography, from beadwork to woodworking, KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University presents Artbeat. Artbeat highlights the work and accomplishments of local artists from in and around Winona. Support for Artbeat is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today on Artbeat, we talked to director Greg Ivan Smith about his two short films, Glasgow and Hummingbird, which were shown at this year's Frozen River Film Festival. We talked to Greg about each film, asking how he came up with the idea, what they were about, and what it's like to have your films shown at the festival. This is KJ with Greg Smith on Artbeat. So, can you tell us what the film is about? Uh, well, Glasgow is a, uh, it's about a group of students in 1974 who are fresh uh, a college, a fictional college called Kane University, and they are researching, uh, researching the history of the university for a sort of school-wide project. And they, uh, the film begins, and they've they've realized that there's a long history of violence at the film at the at the school. And as they research the violence, students start disappearing mysteriously. And so it's essentially a it's a '70s horror movie with a twist. <laughs> I hope. It, it was pretty interesting from what I saw of it. So how did you come up with the idea for the film? Well, actually, my sister, my sister, Valerie Palmer, uh, we, we, my, my husband had just designed um, the musical, costume design, the musical Sister Act. Uh, my husband, Michael Fitzpatrick, who is a resident of the Great River Shakespeare Festival, by the way. Mm-hmm. I should give a shout out to them. Hello, guys. <laughs> Um, and he had just designed Sister Act, which is set, the musical Sister Act is set in the 70s. So we had all this clothing from the 70s, and, uh, and I, I like doing period pieces. I've, I, this is a, a film I, I co-produced with the King School, which is a, um, a private high school in Concord, Massachusetts, and I've done several film, films with them, and they've all been set at the fictional Kane University. And I wanted to do something period because I had had a good success with a horror short called Scary Larry, which was set in 1952. And um, my, so we were just trying to figure out, I, and I, I like the 70s, I like the style of the 70s, and I like a lot of films from the 70s. So uh, that was sort of the the, the impulse. But the, then my sister came up with this, this sort of core concept um, of how to justify a movie from the 70s, which I won't, mentioned because it it's the twist in the movie mm-hmm. but um so i i sort of extrapolated from her original idea and she gets a story credit in the in the credits by the way uh and and uh so it it, it evolved into this sort of horror murder mystery essentially um yeah <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah it turned out a lot different than what I thought it was going to be when I watched it. I don't so. want to give too many spoilers away, but the the twist of it is uh, what I'm what I'm hoping is that you know the 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 killer's sort of locked in this cycle of um, this one day, if that makes sense. <laughs> be cryptic and turn off all your yes be cryptic enough so actually i will be talking a little bit of situations or scenes that happened um but yes of course can 
what was the situation with the deck of cards that uh, Lois kept seeing? Yeah. Well, I guess I have to talk about that. So there's a there's a there's a coma aspect to the film, mm-hmm. and I did a lot of research on coma coma patients, and um, even long term coma patients, uh, they they believe that uh, with some coma patients information can get in to the to the whatever is active in the brain. And so um, there was one, one coma patient I researched had been in a coma for almost 20 years and had been in a coma during uh, 9-11. And when she came out of the coma, her father asked her, do you know what 9-11 is? Because that would be a big shock to tell someone who's, you know, been un- essentially unconscious for 20 years. Yeah. And she said, oh, that was a really bad day for America. But she had totally been in a coma during it. So things get in, like maybe there was a TV on or a radio on in her room or people, you know, people in her uh, doctors and nurses were talking about it sort of over her. So that idea was really interesting to me. So there's a there's a re- repetition of um, the playing cards. And at one point they turn into like a pack of Marlboro cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And or not, they're not Marlboro. I I very definitively hide the label, um, but um, <laughs> that that um, it's it's if a coma coma patient who went into a coma before the age of cell phones somehow trying to um, make cell phones make sense that we all carry around this deck of cards, you know and put it up to our faces and hold it in our hands all the time. Um, so it's, it's sort of the coma patient doing, doing the math on, like, what could it be? Because there are also instances of coma patients who spend hours with their eyes wide open but are still in a coma. So the idea that visual information is getting in and uh, uh, audible information is getting in, but that they don't know necessarily what it is hmm. like when i was a child it was way before cell phones <laughs> so i would i would have it would have seemed like something from star trek for me so it's like the brain the brain kind of um justifying it or rationalized rather that makes sense yeah that and you'll notice it always comes the 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 playing cards always um somehow um interact with the uh overhead announcement Yes. Uh, that the intercom was... announcement. Yeah, I kept hearing that throughout the film, and I was like, what is it saying? <laughs> it was right, annoying right. me. And, well, and it, you know, it's revealed that it's, the, um, it's, it's, it's basically the intercom at the hospital. You know, Dr. L- Latimer to surgery or whatever, whatever it's saying. <laughs> yeah. It made, special care. It made so much sense at the end. I know. Um, I... I totally understand for people that it is potentially an incredibly confusing thing that goes on there. And yes, yes. What I'm hoping is that, uh, you know, a second watch, I've had people watch it once and say, like, what the heck happened? And then watch it again and it all, all the pieces start falling. It, um, my hope is that it rewards close close um, inspection, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. 
so you kind of talked about how you researched coma patients. Um, can you explain what a Glasgow coma scale is? Yes. So um, there's, a, there's a methodology with which uh, doctors sort of rate a level of, of, um, of coma, and it's I'm going to forgive me any doctors listening, but uh, it's something uh, I, I used to be able to say this all verbatim, but uh, <laughs> I think it's a scale of um, 1 to 15. And 15 is like you and I right now, we're at a 15 because mm-hmm. we're talking and we're awake, presumably, um, unless you're really good at talking while in a coma. <laughs> uh, and then um, 1 is totally uh, brain dead, essentially. So the lower the number, and it's it's three levels. I think it's eye movement and um, sensory. They do sort of like pinprick pain, you know, registration. If you, you know, if, if someone came by and stabbed you with a little, you know, a, a thumbtack, you'd twitch mm-hmm. away. It's that kind of thing. And um, the third one is, uh, I think, is audio. Like, are you, if I call your name, is there a facial movement? Or I think those are the three. Um Visual and so it's a scale. It's a scale that that goes from 15 to one, and the higher the number, the better you are. And you could be you could be a really low number on the um, one of them and high on the other one. And it, I think it can also change. So when people are coming out of comas, the numbers go up, like it did in the film. Yes, it makes so much sense. And as as the numbers go up more um, sort of more information that from the outside more world. anachronistic information from modern times leaking into the film. Mm-hmm. Very clever of you. Spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> spoilers. Alert. So much spoilers. We'll just say spoiler I alert. I know. Um, was there a reason that in the film it mentions them going to visit Glasgow? Because that also is a city in... Yes. So um, for me, that's another instance of um, it's I, I could, the cop out answer is that it's a coincidence that um, uh, uh, Sandra, that that character, mm-hmm. you know, there's a Glasgow poster in the, in this um, in the the room that they they have the big meeting in, but I, for me, it's also the patient um, sort of uh, rationalizing this term Glasgow which is being used as a Glasgow coma scale. Do you know what I mean? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, that definitely um, makes sense. Well, that's, that's good. <laughs> you know, I, I spent so many weeks editing and so forth, and that, that um, it's always a surprise when someone else actually um, responds. Understands, you know, responds yeah. Always, the first time you see it, I'm really sorry I can't be there at the screening on Sunday because for both films because I, I haven't watched them yet with a big audience. And it would be so much fun. It's always fun to, like, make, um, you know, I've had the experience of making 700 people scream at the same time <laughs> in the film. It makes me really, really happy. Or, you know, laugh at the same time. So yeah. that, uh, that's very satisfying. So um, uh, I, I'm really sad. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reports. I'm going to get all my Winona people there. <laughs> I'll definitely try and report back to you if possible. Excellent. Please do. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Um, so last question about Glasgow. How did you come up with the idea to film certain scenes with an old camera? Oh, right. So, um, you know, uh, Michael 
Fitzpatrick, who did the costumes, he also did the art direction. And we happened to be able to film in a um, in a in a in a building that was constructed around the year that it took place in. So it was this big '70s building, and we didn't the art direction, the big art direction, like like um, the color schemes, like all that sort of harvest gold and avocado green and orange and stuff were already in that library on campus. It was like a, it was like a, it like the model of the, of the campus. It was sort of like under glass, like it hadn't been updated in years. Um, and I, I am personally a tired of found footage horror films. Cause I think, you know, we've had a couple good ones and, I think maybe we need to let it go. But I liked the idea that there was I needed I needed a device in which the present day uh, present day younger brother of Sandra could be could know what had gone on. That there was a that was a there was a record of the evidence mm-hmm. of the crimes that had been committed. And the logical early 70s version of that is a Super 8 camera. Um, and it was really fun. Like, I, you know, I bought a, a working Super 8 uh, projector on eBay or, or, or on Craigslist or something. And um, we had a working camera. And the footage we shot was actually shot with an iPhone um, uh, Super 8 app. Um, and then I doctored it a little bit more to add to it in the sound and stuff. But I like the quality of it, and I also like it. it I, I like the idea that the Caroline, who's um, is the actress's name, I can't, I can't remember the character's name, who had it's her. She's the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I very encouraging of uh, female filmmakers, and I wanted uh, you know an early seventies female figure, filmmaker. But when the the killer sort of adopts the camera and starts recording. There's a, it's so creepy for me. And um, I love that idea that we have both this very antiquated but beautiful uh, 70s uh, recording device interspersed with, you know, our, our um, 4K beautiful HD film. And we, you know, when we tried to shoot it in a way that looked like a 70s film, so the colors are really saturated in a specific way, and there are lots of shots that we did on a what uh, my my amazing director of photography Tim Joy called a um, uh, closet dolly, which was basically a you know a little cart on wheels, and so it gives it a little bit of a, that shake because this film wouldn't have been steady cam, you know, mm-hmm. where it would have been really smooth. It's all it's all a little bumpy which I like. There's a roughness to it that I'm hoping comes across as 70s. Yeah, it, it did come across. It looked like you were really filming from that old camera. Oh, cool. That's great. Which which is amazing. Yay. Um, so on to Hummingbird. A little bit of a yeah. different tone with this one. It surprised yeah. me. Uh, so also, again, can you explain a little about what the film is about? Sure. Hummingbird's about... Uh, the. A high school. Uh, A new girl arrives at the high school, and um, she's put into a sort of a art class or an after-school activity with a bunch of students. And the students 
plot a surprise for her, which she won't soon forget. <laughs> yes, it was definitely a surprise. Good, good. Um, um, my hope is that the, the, it's a film, for me, it's a film about um, the assumption that people are going to do the worst. Yeah, I, I can. You know what I mean by that? Yep. Like it's that it's the whole build up is that this is going to be so bad. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Carrie, but there's it's mentioned in it where, you know, they build up Carrie and then they drop pig's blood on her at the prom. It's not that, but it's, you know, it's that that sort of shift. Um, and I wanted I want that uh, there's so much bad news in the world. I wanted a. Uh, to do a twist on that. It, it was a good and interesting twist, I'll say that much. Yay! That makes me happy. Um, what inspired you to create this film? Well, uh, this was a project, so I have this, my sort of second secondary job is I get hired by these schools to make um, films with their acting students, mm -hmm. or filmmaking students. And um, so we did this one, this is the second film I've done with the King School in Stanford, Connecticut. My friend Mark Silence um, uh, hired me to do that, and he, he works in the theater department, as my friend Tom Kane did at Concord, uh, in Concord, Massachusetts, with, with Glasgow and the, um, the, other, the other film, the other films I've done there. And so um, what happens, the process that happens is in the spring I meet the kids who are going to be part of the film, and then we film it in the fall or the winter, and then I edit it and so forth after that. And so it, I write a script that's inspired by the kids. I sort of interview them, and we do on-camera workshop acting classes and so forth, because um, most of them have never been on film before. Mm -hmm. And some of the students are, are budding filmmakers and are really good, and, and so if you're not acting, you, you hold a boom mic for the next scene. You know, everyone gets to, uh, everyone's working the whole time, I hope. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I, guess I, I think this uh, hummingbird came out, out of, I, I, I just was exhausted by the news. <laughs> it was just, it was just always so people being mean to each other on the news. Yeah. And that was the inspiration. And I kind of wanted to counter that in a surprising way. And I, you know, these, um, these kids I get to work with are are really interesting and they, they're from very different, a lot of them are from very different backgrounds than mine. And so, um, and I, I don't know the origami thing, my friend, Mark, uh, who, Oh, who also played, um, uh, Mr. Carpenter, the teacher mm -hmm. in it, uh, has always loved origami and I love origami, but I, I had never really done it. And so I, I had this idea that that was the, that was sort of the through line and um, it kind of all developed out of that. I learned a lot of origami. <laughs> yeah. I really know how to make a, an origami hummingbird very well. In my, I can do it in my sleep. You can do it in your sleep. Yeah, I've, I've never been able to do origami before. So seeing all of that done, I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah, I made the I made the students. They all have to do like three dozen each. <laughs> like in the like actual I film. I, yeah, I can't make, <laughs> can't make all of these myself. Awesome. 
Um, so we kind of touched a little bit about it, but or hinted at it, but why such a dark tone throughout the film until the end? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Um, it's purposely, the film is purposely desaturated and dark. I want to play on this idea that bad things are coming. So I didn't want to, and then when the end happens, it bursts into color, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I think, you know, if it was a, uh, if, if Hummingbird was a sort of a horror movie, I would go even darker with the tone, probably, you know, um, like, oh, like, like Glasgow starts really colorful and it actually gets desaturated as it goes because then when we're in the hospital, it's very desaturated, the color scheme. So it's the, it's the same idea. I love, I love. Uh, the influence of color in film and how it can uh, dictate the mood and and so forth. So um, that was absolutely intentional. It's also um, King School very um, in the hallways, any which is where we most you know we it's a lot of it's a lot of gray. Mm-hmm. It was easy, it, it, it was easy to keep it desaturated until the until it gets really saturated at the end. That's actually really cool yay it's, it's always interesting to see how color works into a film i noticed that with um how everyone was kind of wearing the same stuff and then suddenly you see different colors and it's like oh here you go yeah we have they um school doesn't have itself have a um have a uh Dress code. Where we shot it doesn't have a uniform, but they have a they have sort of a formal wear. Mm-hmm. And so we did. We decided that over the course of the week. Well, also it was a huge budgetary concern because we didn't really have a co- um, costume budget for that. Um, yeah. And so we we just did variations on like this is what you wear on the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday. And by the end of it, everyone was in their formal wear. So it was like formal um, Friday formal wear. Interesting. Um, so you talked a little bit about the hummingbird, uh, but what is the significance behind it? Like, why did you choose a hummingbird out of everything? Um, I, uh, I live in Altadena, California, um, and I, I, which is, um, outside of LA, uh, north of Pasadena. And, uh, I have a hummingbird feeder. I love hummingbirds. You know, we're not having polar vortex right now. It was 70 degrees two days ago, I hate to tell you. Um, and I love hummingbirds, and I love the sound of them. And um, I I didn't really have a strong feeling about hummingbirds until I moved to California. Uh, because, but we get them year-round, and I just I love them. And so I, I was trying to, for me, hummingbirds, for Darla, the main character, mm-hmm. are this connection when she has that little monologue about how her dad she's moved to this new school new town and for me it's something bad happened with her dad because she has that monologue about her how her at her old place they had hummingbird feeders everywhere and then i learned that a a a group of hummingbirds is called a charm which is so perfect they make that that sort of fluttering noise i was going to imitate it but i think i'm it would be a mistake, but that, that sort of fluttery, buzzy noise, um, and I and also um, there's um, you don't at least where I live I don't see a 
huge group of hummingbirds together very often, and they're really uh, even though they're all they're all you know there may be plenty of nectar for everyone. They're they're very territorial and they're yeah. they they battle it out a little bit even though they're like the cutest <laughs> little they're like yeah. little cute monsters like a lot of teenagers right now. Oh so, yeah, definitely. Um, just, you know what I mean? So it just made it just made sense to me. And it's also um, I just love them. And also when I started doing researching the um, the origami, uh, it was it was a perfect fit because I really liked that shape. Yeah, it's it was really good. Um, I never knew that a whole group of them were called the charm, but I knew um, some about hummingbirds because my grandma has a hummingbird feeder out in her house, so I sometimes oh, see hummingbirds around, and I see how much they fight over them. <laughs> yeah, they're really mean to each other. <laughs> Just wait till a bird comes in and steals everything. Yes, exactly. Um, so... Why did you choose to start at the end in the beginning, then mm. go back in time? I didn't notice that at first, but then after I rewinded it, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I wanted to sort of bookend that there's something about sort of seeing Darla at the end of the, uh, the week. And the first shot is from Darla's perspective to the other kids, mm-hmm. for the, you know, walking down the hallway. And then when we see that scene again at the end of the week, we've learned who Darla is, so it's more from the other student's perspective looking at Darla. It's the same shot, just the reverse shot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I wanted to start in the first 30 seconds or whatever it is that there's something suspicious about the locker. Like, you see, you may notice there's a little wire sticking out yeah, on I the top of the locker. That. Yeah. And so I wanted to sort of plant that and on the Friday, and then then we go back to Monday. And it's okay with me if people think, people think that was Friday and then Monday is, you know, three days later. But, yeah. it, but I think you quickly realize that that's her first day at school, and that once the Tuesday starts, then we get back to that Friday. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that until the end when it re-shown the, um, yeah. the Which is fine. locker. Yeah. But I got it eventually. That's all that matters. See? That's all that matters. <laughs> Um, so last question about Hummingbird. Um, so in the film, they kept referencing, um, an event that happened three years ago. Yeah. Um, it probably doesn't really have much to do, but did you actually come up with an idea of what really happened? I wanted, so I, that is this, um, I'm, yes, I did. <laughs> I, I don't think it matter. it matters specifically to the plot, but my hope is that it, um, what the, they talk about, um, I forget his first name, but his last name's Nagel, the Nagel kid three years ago, yeah. that he was the new kid, and they did something similar, but the, it wasn't, it, it went badly. That they're, and that we, we as the audience suppose that they did something horrible to him, and it went even more badly than what it should have been. They planned, but... In fact, maybe they did something really nice for him, but it went really badly. They, like, took it too far. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that, that that's an undercurrent of a adding to the threat of what's going to happen at the end of the week. Yeah, when they kept mentioning him, I'm like, what did they do to him? Yeah. Because they said yeah. that... And I'll, um, I'm sorry, go on. They said that it, like, really messed him up, and, like, he still wasn't the same as he was when he first started... Right. You know, the way the, 
it, what, what, what they do to Darla could have gone badly if there had been a misfire. You know what I mean? Like anything could have happened. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I like the idea that there's this sort of don't let it get out of control and that maybe it will. I like the idea that the guillotine might chop your head off or it might not, but you have to worry about it for the whole film. That is actually a really good comparison <laughs> to it. I never would have I, thought of that. I like that. I like that tension. I want the tension to be there. And so when the tension's released, either because someone gets their head cut off or someone is saved from getting their head cut off, that's very satisfying to me. Yes. <laughs> um, so kind of this some... Is the kind of, this is the kind of answer I give my, my mother says, wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Um, so some general questions. Uh, what does it feel like having your film shown at Frozen River Film Festival? I'm so excited. I'm so sorry I'm not going to be at the screening. I so I have want, I've wanted to I love Winona and I, I you know I, I know a bunch of people who work with the film festival. Mm-hmm. And this is the first I'm really honored that my work is being shown at the, the first time they're doing narrative because it's primarily documentary and it always has been, correct? So so I'm I'm just so excited that they're actually doing a narrative piece because I've always wanted to screen there, but at the same time, I, I don't do documentaries or I haven't yet. Yeah. So um, I'm so excited and it, it has such a good reputation. And if, I've also never actually been to Winona in the winter. Oh God. So my, so I, you know, I, I, I teach Shakespeare and work with the Shakespeare Festival. So yeah. my whole, um, my whole experience of Winona is hot and sunny. Or rainy, but you know it's summer. Yeah. And I've I've lived, you know, if you combine all the months I've lived there, I've lived there for a couple of years of my life, spread out over several summers. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen it in the winter, and so the the whole the, it's all it's all a mystery to me. And we sent we we get friends who send us photos during this past polar vortex. Yeah, <laughs> be glad you weren't here. I know, I know, I know, but I, I kind of am curious about it. But I, I, I'm really excited about the film festival, and I, I hope they continue. I hope the narrative screening is really successful and that they, they, they continue to do it. Because I would love to be part of it in the future. And, um, yeah, I, it's amazing. I'm so grateful to um, Daniel Munson, who brought me on board and, I'm just, I'm thrilled. And um, I, and I got a nice email from Sarah, whose last name I can't remember right the second, who is, I think is the executive director. And yeah, I'm so excited. It, yeah, it should be interesting to see some of the other films that will be shown during the same time as yours and just see kind of the difference between them. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to see them. Yeah. I love, my one of my favorite things is going to a film festival and it's always exciting to see what your work has been paired with Mm -hmm. and to see if there's a common theme and to like meet other filmmakers and talk about process and you know it's all and it's also really good to go to them because then you make connections and um so i'm really i'm really sorry i'm not going to be there in person i just just couldn't swing a a trip to minnesota in in february yeah, that'd be kind of hard to do. Um, so how long did it take to produce and edit each of your two films? 
Um, it's about the same amount of time for each. I, I start, let's see, I start writing, I meet the kids in the spring of one year, you know, mm-hmm. of, like the spring of, and then I wrote it, I wrote both of them over the summer. Um, I think I, 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 Glasgow was first on the schedule, so I sort of met those kids, then I met the, so I would say it was about, it's about from meeting the kids to production, where we're actually shooting the film, is about um, four to six months, depending on where we did it. And then, and then uh, I was editing them both. I would edit a rough cut of one and then edit a rough cut of another to really sort of hurt my brain. But it took me about—I think it took me about three months to edit both of them. After that, I'm—I'm a—I I love editing. It's one of my favorite parts of the process, but I'm not very fast. <laughs> yeah. Editing can be fun, um, but then sometimes not so much. Right. Um, is there anything you want the viewers to take away from your films? That's a good question. I guess with Hummingbird, I would like the, the messages, you know, be nicer to each other, I guess. Um, and with Glasgow, um, I hope I scare the pants off someone. I, <laughs> I just, you know, I just, I, I love scaring people. I love horror movies, and um, I'm gonna, I'm hoping all my Winona people go because I know some of them don't like horror movies, and I'm gonna scare them anyway. I'm not gonna tell them ahead of time. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I, I hope, I hope that the, the viewers get you know, lost in a world. I love, that's the reason I love short films is that, you know, it, it, if they're successful, they can sort of, you forget they're a short film and they take you somewhere yeah. for just a little brief amount of time. And I hope that, that both of these, those films are successful in doing that. Well, they were, they took me into that world when I watched them. So they, oh, were, they were successful for that. Um, are there any new projects that you are working on currently? Um, I, uh, I am, uh, working on a script for a horror movie, a, it's sort of a psychological, maybe it's a psychological thriller or horror movie, um, about a man who falls in love with his snowman. You know, that old chestnut. <laughs> um, and then bad things start happening to people around him. I, I actually don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> That's great. Man, that falls in... Okay. And um, I've been... You know, I, I've, uh, every now and then I, I direct an episode of a web series uh, and called um, All the World's a Cage, mm-hmm. which is about a dysfunctional family where the mother is a puppet. And um, you can see that online, which I highly recommend. And other than that, um, I do stand-up, and I've been doing stand-up here in L.A., and uh, I'm an actor, so I've been auditioning. So, you know, general actor, multiple jobs. Yes, many jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where can people learn more about you, and possibly if they didn't get the chance to see the two films, where could they possibly see it? Oh, well, I'm, I've kept them locked for now because I've, I've submitted them to a bunch of film festivals and i got to make sure I keep them password protected. But uh, if you go to One Take Films, 
uh, all spelled out. One take films, O N E, take films. Uh, dot com. That's my website, and it has you know my uh, reels. If anyone wants to hire me for their next million dollar project, I'm happy to oblige. Um, but it's also you know it's resumes and trailers and all lots of self congratulatory stuff. So that's that's sort of where most of my stuff is. Um, but if, and if anyone has a specific request, they can contact me through that website, uh, email me, and I'll, I'm happy to send people links. Or if anyone, you know, wants to uh, buy a script, you know, I'm available for purchase. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, that's all I have. Thank you, Greg, so much for doing this interview. I, it's sad that you can't be here, but it's... Your films are amazing. That's all I got to say. Thank you. Kelly, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you again to Greg Evans-Smith for the interview. To learn more about Greg and his projects, go to onetakefilms.com. To stream tonight's episode or any other episode of Artbeat, go to kqal.org under Media Program Archives. This is KJ on Artbeat. Artbeat is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Visit us on the web at kqal.org. Is art an important part of your life? Tune into Artbeat Tuesdays at 12:30 right here on 89.5 KQAL. Artbeat is made possible by a grant from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.